Hello, my name is Andrew David. And every so often in the job that I've been doing in broadcasting for the last 50 years, something comes along and really takes your imagination and reminds you just how fantastic radio is at telling stories or helping people tell their stories. And this happened through a wonderful book which flopped from my letterbox a couple of months ago called Lincolnshire Lives. It's edited by a woman called Rosanna McGlone, who you'll get to hear in a minute. But better than that, you'll also get to hear from some of the fantastic authors who've put themselves into effectively the firing line and put their words on paper via a whole different range of means, have it edited and put together into a fantastic book, which will make a wonderful opportunity for you to remember times past in your own life, or indeed use it as an opportunity to share experiences in a whole variety of settings. It's a very well-priced little book, £8.99, and at the end of our stories together today, I'll let you know how you can get hold of it. This is, if you're listening on the radio, a complete programme and you'll get to hear an introduction by Rosanna and several of the authors who I've managed to meet over the last couple of weeks. Or you can listen to this on the podcast and there's a little musical interlude which will show you where each little section finishes. So you'll be able to stop and start to your heart's content. So whichever way you enjoy it, please sit back, relax. If you've got a pair of headphones, put those on and let your mind drift away as we discover what happened when a group of people from Lincolnshire told us their story. It's Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History, edited by Rosanna McGlone. listen to Siren Radio and every so often I get invited to have a look at a book that's been published to see whether we can do a review on Siren Radio and when my next guest contacted me about her book or at least the book she's edited I leapt at it because as you'll hear over the next few minutes with some of the fantastic authors you're going to hear from this just triggers a whole range of fabulous storytelling and perhaps memory triggering that maybe you have forgotten some stories from you or your family. So let's find out more. It's a book called Lincolnshire Lives, and it's their story, your history, and the editor, Rosanna McGlone, joins us here on Siren Radio. Rosanna, thank you very much indeed for getting in contact with me and offering me, a, first of all, a copy of the book, which I haven't put down since, <laughs> since you sent it to me. Thank you. You're very kind there. Where did the idea for this come from? Because all the people you're working with are not professional authors, are they? No, not at all. The idea was really, I'm very conscious of the fact that we're losing a lot of memories. We're losing a, a lot of stories about what happened back in the day. And I personally felt that I, I really regret that there are things that I would love to know about my mother and her life. And now that she's passed away, all of those, those stories have gone. And I felt that particularly at this time when it started, which was in January, I really wanted to be able to help people to capture their memories so that they could share them with their children, with their grandchildren, and indeed for, for, with other people. You, you say that just, I, I want to 
to capture your memory. So here we go, write, write, write it now. It's not that easy because a lot of the authors, as you'll hear um, in this program, a lot of the authors um, left school quite a long time ago. So the point at which they would have had to have written an essay about what I did during the school holidays is long gone. Absolutely. I mean, first, can I say that they were just all incredibly brave because the idea of this Arts Council project was to engage with people who didn't ordinarily engage with the arts, perhaps hadn't written for 60 years or so. They perhaps left school at 14, 15, and they hadn't written for a very long time. So the project took the form of a mix, a mix of input. So Part of it was workshops where all of the participants engaged with me and with each other and worked together. And part of it was one-to-one mentoring from me, if you like. So they, we would look in a lot of detail at a particular story that each participant had written and just have a look at what were the key elements and which were the most exciting bits. Often we found that it was the bits that were really um, important to them that weren't on the paper because they were already in their heads. Mm-hmm. So, so there were all sorts of things where you could say, well, well, where is the most significant piece here? And they'd sort of look down and they perhaps get to the second page and they say, well, well, perhaps it's this bit here. And you'd say, yes, I think it is. So then we'd have a look at how we could rework that. And we spend a lot of time having a look at beginnings because most of the participants were motivated, were encouraged to to do the project by by their offspring or by their grandchildren. (laughs) And when they started, I said, It's great that you want to write for them, but I would like anybody to want to read this story. I'd like people to just go into the library and think, oh, yes, that looks like an interesting book. I'll have a look. So let's think about writing for people who don't even know you. So we need to tell them the details. We need to tell them what your mother looks like. We need to tell them where this took place, when it took place and so on. Now, one of the things that I, having grown up working in uh, newsrooms, uh, feared the editor's blue pencil, as it used to be, coming straight through and cutting stuff out, having you having spent hours looking at a typewriter and trying to be inspired about something. How well did these people who had given up the writing skills 60 years earlier, how well did they, they take positive criticism? Oh, they were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they were all so eager to learn. And I I think a lot of it, I mean, we spent time within the workshops when we were sort of when you were talking about how would you start? We spend a lot of time with stimulus material and different exercises. So, for example, in the very first workshop, each participant was asked to bring a pencil and they, they drew a physical map of the area in which they grew up. So that could have been a particular street. It could have been a village. It might have included the village school or the shop or the park where they played and so on. One of the other problems that writers have is show, don't tell. So basically what that translates as is rather than saying I was feeling very scared or I was very excited or I really fancied him, we thought about ways where this could be shown through people's body language. So we had really good fun with those sorts of exercises as well. You, you said they, they, they had a pencil and I love yes. the physicality of I love paper. I love stationery. If you look to my office, it's, it's full of more mm-hmm. pens than you actually need. And there is something very, very connecting when you're using a pen and paper, which you don't necessarily get when you're using a, a laptop or a PC. Uh, how did they write them? Did they write them longhand and then type them up or was it a mixture? 
Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. No, it, it was a complete mixture. Ultimately, the, the work that was produced needed to be sent electronically, but people approached that in different ways. And indeed, on, a, on another course, I actually had somebody who wrote it all longhand and then used a voice activation program, voice translation program, to be able to record that. So she would then read that. And it was quite funny because the proofreader came across a particular sentence and she said to me, I just can't figure out, Rosanna, the meaning of this. And when I looked at it, I said, I bet that was this particular lady's because that is a, is a, a, a the voice translation program giving us that little quirk. That's why it seems so inexplicable and so bizarre. How wonderful. This book, and I, as I say, I honestly said, I, I picked it up and I've picked it up and picked it up. It's beautiful. It's full of short stories, which is easily accessible. But the, the joy of it in my head was not just grandparents passing this on to their grandchildren, but you were mentioning this might be a book that people will pick up in libraries. I can also see this as being used in other contexts, maybe care homes, where perhaps there's a level of uh, forgetfulness, you know, as we get older, we forget things, that having stories like this might suddenly trigger reminiscences which have never come up. Absolutely. I think it's a really nice piece of stimulus material. So whether you're using it with young people, um, I had some feedback from a, a girl guide group who had listened to some of the stories from, from one of the speakers. And they were saying that they'd found it really great stimulus material to be, to be able to then move on from that and talk about their own experiences in relation to that particular piece of writing. Um, similarly, I think it would work brilliantly with, with older adults who were able to just find those connections. I mean, one of the exercises that we did in relation to school days was thinking about the sensory experiences. So there was a lot of, you know, instead of just using our, our sight, what could you hear? What could you smell? What did those school dinners actually taste like? So I think very much it would work with that type of approach and that would uh, create engagement because it's just kind of tapping into it. You never really know, do you, no. um, with people who are becoming more forgetful, what is going to be something that resonates with them? There is one bit of this exercise that, as you will hear when we meet uh, some of the authors who've very bravely put themselves forward uh, to be part of this programme, um, you got them to do something right at the very end, which I think almost without exception, they all found incredibly difficult, which is to write a poem to start their chapter. Why on earth did you ask them, having taken them all the way through the writing of prose, you then get them to write a poem? Uh, that, that's a very good question, Andrew. <laughs> I think... I think it was very much a case of, of going back to people's roots, that the stimulus for the poem was where I'm from. And to begin with, we explored all sorts of poems that, that had that title, Where I'm From. We looked at different techniques. We looked at different approaches to writing that. We discussed at length the fact that a poem didn't actually have to rhyme, which is always a revelation to a lot of people. Yep. Um, I think English teachers have a lot to answer for there. 
it was it was another challenge. People were very comfortable because it's interesting because, as you say, it appears at the beginning of each person's chapter, but we did it at the very end. And we did it in that order because it would have been too much to say to people who were thinking, gosh, I wonder what I'm letting myself in for. OK, we're going to start by writing a poem because because many people feel very uncomfortable, not very confident with writing poems. So it was really I think once they'd written them, everybody was very proud of themselves. The other thing you put charmingly at the beginning of each chapter is a photograph, which I assume they chose that they would be happy with. Yes, many yes. of them have chosen uh, photographs from their school uh, school days, which are absolutely fascinating because I can resonate with the type of picture and everybody knows what type of picture I'm talking about. I have to say that this also has brought back uh, a very interesting memory for me. I've turned to the poem that uh, Christine Taylor wrote. She's from Waltham and she had a line in it which took me back to the first days when I worked for the BBC in 1972. So this has done something for me. And it was really something quite extraordinary because she says, I am evenings listening to the Archers on a radio. For me, fantastic. I love the Archers. Monday lunchtime, cold meat and chips, Victor Sylvester. And then she goes on to list some programmes. Listen with Mother, Woman's Hour, and sing something simple. And I looked at that and I thought, I haven't seen that for a long time. Took me back to when I used to work in the popular music library for BBC Radio 2. And one of my jobs was to get the music ready for Cliff Adams and the Cliff Adams singers who used to record the programme, Sing Something Simple. So quite bizarrely, sitting here in my home studio in Lincolnshire, I have been transported back to Aeolian Hall in New Bond Street, which was the home of live music on BBC Radio 2. Quite extraordinary. And I'm sure Christine didn't realise writing that line, it would produce that reaction in me. So that reaction in me could be multiplied hundreds of thousands of times. And that's utterly fantastic, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Absolutely. That's lovely. Rosanna, it's been a real privilege and pleasure to be part of this, even though I've come to it right at the very end of the process. But it's not the very end of the process because we, we can now say the book is available, modestly priced at £8.99. Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your Story. Um, where can we get it? The easiest way is to get it directly from me. If people would like to email me, my email address, I'm sorry, it's a bit complicated, is mcglonehealy at yahoo.com. I'll spell that for you. It's M-C-G-L-O-N-E and then Healy, H-E-A-L-E-Y at yahoo.com. And if you didn't manage to get that down, if you have a look at our podcast, which you can find at sirenradio.podbean.com, all the details will be straight in front of you. Rosanna, thank you very much indeed for being with us and setting up what we're now going to listen to, which is a selection of stories and a selection of interviews with some of those fantastic authors who've put themselves up there for everybody to enjoy in Lincolnshire Lives, their story, your history. For the moment, Rosanna, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Andrew. a little sequence looking at a splendid book called Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History, edited by our guest Rosanna McGlynn. And one of the things I asked was that could I meet some of these fantastic authors uh, who 
put down in writing some absolutely extraordinary stories. I'm delighted today to say that we're talking to Marion Leach. Marion, thank you for spending time with us here at uh, Siren Radio. You're, you're welcome. Now, first of all, tell me, what, why did you want to get involved with this project? What was the driving force for you personally? Well, for many, many years, I've been telling my daughters and my son all sorts of stories, as my mother told me. And of course, when I was younger, uh, I just didn't really listen and forgot half of them. And one of my daughters said, you really should write some of this stuff down because we won't remember and it'd be nice to write it down. And then at the same time, I saw an advert uh, in the U3A newsletter about Lincolnshire Lives memoir writing. So I got in touch with Rosanna and had to chat to her and was accepted on the course. And so that's how it came about. Now, I'm guessing that for almost all of us, um, we never did any sort of creative writing since we left school. Um, and maybe you never even did it when you were at school. How easy did you find it uh, to to put what may have been oral stories, you know, things that you heard and were passed down uh, people to people. How easy did you find it to, to put that in a form that would work in a book? Well, at first I found the idea quite intimidating because, as you say, I hadn't done any creative writing since I left school. I, I was a teacher, so the only writing I ever did was reports and lesson plans and risk assessments. So I always wrote everything in bullet points. I didn't think I'd be able to string two sentences together. Um, but Rosanna was fantastic. We had uh, a monthly workshop with a one-to-one -one in between. And with her guidance and, and things, it, it, it sort of flowed quite well from then. So I, I love the idea. I'm sitting here thinking, because I have to do risk assessments for, for work here at Siren Radio. Uh, the, the thought of trying to do creative writing with a risk assessment is, is an oxymoron to start with, isn't it? Actually. <laughs> So you, you went through a preparation process, and then I, I would suspect, and I'm interested to hear from you, the difficulty would be working out which things in, in your rich and glorious life you think would work well as a piece of creative writing. So how did you go about sort of sifting the stories? Well, at, at the workshops, they were two-hour workshops, and so we were given things to think about and I think the first one was early days and we were asked to um, draw a map of where we lived and, and important places in our early lives and then just think about anything that came to mind from that and so in my case I, I just remembered about my brother playing in Drake Street and my brother having an accident and, and that came from that. And then the next time it was, I think it was, um, oh, which was next? Well, Place was the one I'm going to read about. I just thought, where, where did I spend part of my life, my, my young life? And that was on the West Common. So that again, I, I thought about the West Common and it flowed from there. And of course the joy is for people reading this book, uh, which is now available, we'll be giving the details later, is that it made then, um, provoke ideas that they can then share with their friends and relatives that they perhaps have forgotten for so many years because you talk about um, uh, the, the common everybody's now thinking oh yes I remember the common I this that and the other it just suddenly triggers a whole cascade of memories yeah are you going to carry on writing that's the crucial question well I, I would like to because the other thing I, I talk to my children about endlessly is all the stuff I've got in my house, which means something to me, it means nothing to anybody else, but I like there's a chair which 
that's got a huge story behind it. And again, my daughter said, write it down because we're not going to remember it. Let's write it down. So I'm going to write about all my stuff in my house that means something to me. What an absolutely wonderful idea. And of course, I suppose you can electronically put it onto a laptop and a computer. You could perhaps add pictures so you could create your own little book. I'm full of things like that. Anyway, Marion, you've teased us with this little extract that you're going to read um, about place. So uh, as we come to the end of our short time together, would you like to read an extract uh, from your part of Lincolnshire Lives? As I neared the gate to the West Common, a smile crept across my face and my walk had a spring to it. I lifted the heavy latch, left the town behind and stepped into another world. This is my regular walk with my dog, Laddie. Before me was the straight grey cinder path. Crunching along, I had a magnificent view to my right of the cathedral and the big bulk of the Westgate water tower. Almost straight ahead, the white sails of Ellis Mill, the huge X motionless at this time, and in the far distance, the vast cooling towers of West Burton Power Station. Spiralling up into the sky all around me were the skylarks. It was an early spring morning and there was a sweet green smell of grass in the air. I could smell the horses, that mixture of sweat, manure and hay, long before their outlines loomed up out of the ground mix. Leaving the cinder path, I headed towards the race course. Although it was deserted now, echoes and images of the races came sneaking into my head. I'd got a horse, I'd got a horse to beat the favourite. This was the catchphrase of Prince Monolulu, who was a flamboyant horse racing tipster. He wore a headdress of ostrich feathers, had lion's paws swinging from his neck, wore baggy pantaloons and carried a tartan umbrella. Never before had Lincoln seen such an exotic creature. I imagined him to be an African chief. Marion, the hairs on the back of my neck are tingling because um, I drive past that uh, the grandstand yeah, almost regularly, well, every day before we had to stop driving past things for, for COVID. And I can see the horses, I can see the grass. The lovely thing about storytelling on the radio is that it creates those wonderful images in our minds. Marion, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on Siren Radio. And what you probably couldn't hear, and I'm sure the listeners think, listening intently in the background, for something like this, looking back at time, we could hear the tick of a clock in the background. Have have you got a lovely grandfather clock in the back? That's my, that's my noisy clock, which was left to me by uh, an old, very old lady, and it's, it dates back. It's a, it's a Bavarian post clock or something, and everybody calls it my noisy clock. But it is noisy, yes. It's very old. It's late, late 18th century. And there's another story, Marion, for you to, to explore. Marion Leach, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on Siren Radio, exploring Lincolnshire lives. Thank you very much. Bye. currently looking at a whole range of wonderful contributions to a book called Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History. And I'm delighted to say that Siren Radio has been able to invite some of the authors to take part in this mini-series. Our guest today is Bob Wayne. Bob, welcome to Siren Radio. Thank you. Now, you're, you're a bit of a, 
an incomer, aren't you? Because I happen to notice at the beginning of your chapter, it says Bob Wayne Horncastle and then says brackets and Norfolk. Well, I'm a foreigner and uh, I, um, I worked in, uh, in Norfolk. I qualified in Norfolk. Um, and worked for a family firm for a, a year or two, and I realised that's a terrible mistake. And therefore, I had to go out on, on my own. And I just happened to see an advertisement in the Farmers Weekly asking for a fixed equipment manager for A Church and Sons Hornhouse Limited. Without much hope, I came, applied, and to my surprise, I got it. And the rest is history. So you've been for most of your life here, but I, I know that you you have worked down south as well. But but you'd call Lincolnshire probably your home base, yes? Yes. So, uh, there is a, a sort of saying that's been quoted at me: "Once you cross the wash, boy, you never go back." That's fascinating. I'm, I'm sure King John probably thought the same as well. He <laughs> wasn't much as successful. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Bob, let's talk about the whole writing process. Um, how did you feel about getting stuck into, into writing something like this creatively after, I'm sure, quite a, a long time since you ever did something like that at school? Well, I, I have done a bit of writing. Um, at work, I was actually uh, ended up as a technical director of a national company. But we have a very strange system whereby the technical department was, was uh, trusted to do the publicity not the sales department. So, <laughs> so I, I, I did, and then I found in early age that you wrote articles, obviously for very much for your own benefit, very often they would be accepted. <laughs> so I did a bit, and then when I retired, I came and started to be involved in the community. I was horrified to see they had very little idea about publicity. So again, I started writing. And the next thing I knew, I was writing any perhaps five or six articles a week for the local paper, where they grandly called it from our own correspondence. How wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely I wonderful. Glad I never got paid. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, you obviously got some level of satisfaction from it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have carried on doing it. Oh, yes. I, I get tremendous satisfaction. Uh, again, sort of going back in history, I... I suffered uh, as a child very badly from not being able to write. Uh, I'm finding great difficulty in writing. I'm finding what the technical term is for people who can't write. And really, that held me back all through my life as a student. And it was only when word processors came along, at last I was able to write things. And I do quite enjoy writing things. When you and Rosanna and the rest of the team were commissioned to do this, how do you decide which stories from your rich and varied tapestry of life to, to actually include? What, what was the thing that guided you on that? Well, I think there was a great temptation for people to write about their childhood. It becomes a little bit the same, all the same. So I tried to think of entirely different things to write, things that people perhaps hadn't on subjects that people hadn't, other people hadn't thought of writing. And of course, I also had this desire to, to write things that I think they ought to be written, since this bit we're going to quote for, about a community activity. 
I hope some, it's now 50 years since it happened, but I hate the thought of that it is not recorded anywhere. And of course, as I've been saying with your other co-authors in this book, uh, you writing about a particular subject can so then trigger a whole range of memories in the person who's reading or, or maybe the person who's going to be listening to, to your extract in a minute. And that, again, could be a very enriching experience for everybody. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, put it into context then, because if I say you're going to tell us about blood donating, you said you felt this was a, an example of um, a part of community life which has disappeared. Yes, I, I mean, nowadays, there's still people that plenty of public-spirited people who go and give blood. But it's all a very slick operation. I mean, I only gave it up five years ago when they started rejecting my second-rate blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, it's now a very slick operation. You make appointments and uh, you go, they sit you down in a seat that then tilts back. They all the the needles and the pipes are all sort of in a one-use pack. In, in our day, we always reckoned the nurses would sharpen the needle up on the sole of their leather shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly the same needle was used, albeit they did have a sterilizer. <laughs> I'm glad. So would you like to read us this wonderful excerpt from your story? Yeah. The invitation that I rashly accepted on that day led me to acquire an additional identity, one that I quite proudly claimed for the next half century. I became a blood donor. Before having time to think through all the implications or even question my own courage, I found myself walking into the TA drill hall with Stuart and Rob. It, as well as its military purpose, the grim Victorian building with huge tortoise stoves and apple green paint was well used by the community for such events as flower shows, trade exhibitions, badminton, and even scrubbed up well enough to host the farmer's ball, the highlight of the social calendar. For that evening's activities, chairs were laid out in the serpentine queue, where seated hardly quietly, interspersed with respectable middle class were the town lads, many of whom I would never expect to have any social conscience. This was obviously going to be fun. Our arrival was greeted with jeers and much joshing. Embarrassed the more serious minded donors, disapproving to look hard the other way. At the head of the queue was the desk with the administrator, dressed in proper nurses' uniforms with little white cap things, black stockings, and all. Names were taken, fingers pricked, and blood tested before we victims were passed on to yet another queue. The serious work really started behind a row of screens. Ex-military stretches were raised on trestles covered with ridiculous grey army blankets. In the background, a hot water steriliser bubbled and steamed. It looked scary, but with that mob outside, there was no turning back. On being called forward, the donor was invited to lie down, waiting whilst first a technician in a white coat hooked up what appeared to be a milk bottle onto the bed, before a surgeon 
in a full-length operating theatre ground and mask administered the local anaesthetic before aiming an evil-looking needle into a likely-looking vein. It worked. Soon, some, but hopefully not all, one's lifeblood was surging down a red rubber tube into a bottle. Of course, the correct procedure was to lie quietly looking up at the high timbered ceiling above. Needless to say, no sooner had the personal attendants moved on to another bed than boys were propped up on one elbow, looking around to see how well if others were doing, with the possible bonus of a glimpse of a mini-skirted bed, or best of all, somebody's painting. Needle out, sticky plasters cover the hole, quick lecture on how to conduct oneself for the rest of the evening, and in no time, another Red Cross nurse appeared to steer you to a place of rest. Now, I'm sure the Red Cross girls enjoyed the evening, but a load of B-mob happy survivors is always going to be a handful. The rest station, in the charge of a well-built, long-serving Harrigan or Red Cross nurse, consisted of a row of camp beds on which the donors were expected to lie and relax for at least a quarter of an hour. Now everybody knew that lying down was for wimps. Waiting for a full 15 minutes before a free cup of tea and a biscuit had no attraction whatsoever to the lads. To make administration easy, a piece of paper with the release time was pinned onto each bed. These slips soon circulated like forged cup pie tickets. More shouting, more finger wagging, and even threats to tell their mothers. Present day uh, donors are treated to a choice of beverages and a selection of nice chocolate biscuits and cellophane wrappers. In those days, the tea came out of an urn, and just one rich tea biscuit on a plate was all you could hope for. The final act was to collect a freshly printed surface showing your blood group. For the new boys, the picture appeared gummed into a neat little stiff-covered book. Mine looked pristine and very thin. How I longed for a day when I too would be able to present a thick, dog-eared proof of my public service. Many of those boys, now grandfathers, went on to reach the prize 100 plus donation level. It wasn't hard, they just needed to keep turning up for the sessions, all the time growing older. As one donor put it, I'm not clever enough to be a surgeon, I'm not caring enough to be a nurse, I'm not brave enough for a rescue work, but deep down I rejoiced that I might just have contributed to saving a life. Bob, thank you very much indeed for taking part. Uh, it's been a real privilege and pleasure to meet you. Okay, fine. Well, it's fun. It's all fun, isn't it? Siren 107.3. You're listening to Siren Radio as part of our little special feature looking at a brand new book which has been uh, co-sponsored by Arts Council England. It's called Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History. And the joy here on Sound Radio is that we're able to meet some of the fantastic authors who've written some gorgeous stories. Our next guest is Christine Taylor. Christine, welcome to Siren Radio. Uh, thank you, Andrew. 
now the, the thing about this is it's all about people learning how to capture things that happened in their lives and I just want to know how you went through the process how do you did, did you decide which stories you wanted to include Rosanna each week we gave us um, a topic an idea and it was from that idea that you developed what happened in your life at that moment in time from the beginnings through to special people and in all of our lives we meet some very interesting characters and characters who are sometimes special and sometimes you would rather not have met them <laughs> so I wrote about the special people in my life and the special events and you know I'm of an age where we're referred to as the baby boomers because we've had it so good but life was very hard as a child and I have seen in my lifetime some enormous changes that you could never ever imagine. I was brought up in a two up, two down. Do people know what that means? There were two rooms upstairs, there were two rooms downstairs. We had a cold water tap and the lighting was gas lighting. I can't imagine putting my children to bed and lighting a gas lamp. <laughs> How dangerous was that? <laughs> but that's how it was. Indeed. My dad was to bed and lit a gas lamp. Now, you see, the thing is, you say baby boomers, we had it all. I'm, I'm not perhaps quite as old, but I can remember, because mm. uh, there's a little poem that you were asked to write to start you yeah. with the chapters. And your second bit goes, I am bitterly cold bedrooms, stories by gaslight, ice on the windows. I can remember in the 1960s, there being ice on my bedroom window. So I immediately can, can, can sense what you're talking about. And this is the joy of telling stories. It engages people with a journey back into their own lives, isn't it? Definitely. And one of the things we had at this cottage, we, we had no flush toilet. Oh, no. And when I told my children about this, the toilet, <laughs> that was only was emptied weekly, my daughter said, well, I'd only go when they'd emptied it, but it didn't work. That was life. It, you accepted it. It was, um, yes, it yes. was very basic. Let, let, very let's just good. hope that people are not eating their lunch or tea or breakfast I or dinner whilst yeah. listening. But, but I, I thought you were going to refer to the, the brick outhouse, but you're saying before that or in that was something that was only emptied once a week? The toilet in the brick outhouse was emptied once a week by the dilly men who came <laughs> in the dilly cart. It was the Friday tea time that they came. And um, yeah, that was their job to empty. Do you know, something has just occurred to me, that song, Don't Dilly Dally on the Way. I wonder whether yeah. my old man said, follow the van and don't dilly dally on the way. I wonder whether there's any reference. We're going off on a tangent here, Chrissy. But that's the, that is the joy of these sorts of stories, isn't it? It's the joy of being able to say, do you know, that reminds me of and that reminds me of. And we, you and I could do this probably for, and indeed everybody else I've been talking to could do this yes. until the cows come home. Um, I suppose one thing may have been difficult is actually refining the stories and, and, and cutting out some because even though it's fascinating, it wouldn't work. Did you find the editing process easy, difficult, or was it just a natural process? No, I've, I did find it quite difficult because it was... You wanted to write everything down. You wanted to record everything. But at the same time, it had to be made interesting for your reader. 
And you were re recalling these events through the eyes of a child. So they're not always factually correct, but they're as you remember it. And that's perfect because we all look back on things in our childhood in a very different way. Um, mm. And sometimes looking at it through the innocence of childhood is perhaps the most honest way. Oh, definitely. How many times do we say out of the mouths of babes? Indeed. Christine, you and I could go on chatting for ages, but what the listener is now shouting at me in my headphones saying, get Christine to read something. So, Christine, would you like to read a part of your, your chapter, please? I, I will. I, I'm, I've, I've chosen this because I ended up being a teacher and the events that happen in this account that I'm going to read, I could never imagine or envisage in my teaching career doing this. So here we go. Although junior school was a special time in my young life, school days at the local secondary modern school didn't always go so smoothly. It had been an interesting break as an 11 year old first year at Waltham Tolbar Secondary Modern School. I'd never seen anything like it before. My friend Pam and I watched, transfixed as the two sneering girls were frog marched into the school building. Then the bell sounded to signal the end of break and the silence descended across the playground as we shuffled ourselves into our lines. Our next lesson was science. Lines to the bottom corridor about turn, instructed the self-assured prefect with an air of authority. Form 1A turned in military style and on the prefect's next instruction, we made our way to the science laboratory situated along the bottom corridor. On entering the room, we sat in silence. I sat next to Pam. We glanced at one another and then following an elbow nudge, she raised an eyebrow and flipped her head to one side, thus indicating where she wanted me to look. I followed her gaze and saw Mr Burton, the science teacher, disappearing into his store cupboard. We grinned and put our heads together, began our recall of playground events. Blimey, what was all that about? I whispered. Pam looked at me open-mouthed. Two girls, fourth years, fighting. Did you see the dark-haired one pulling the other girl's ponytail? She didn't ah, give it a tug, was my reply. I know, said Pam. But the ponytail girl gave her a mighty kick on the shins and that's how they ended up on the floor. The muttering continued. They ended up rolling about the playground until Miss White appeared. She had a cane in her hand. I was flabbergasted, still unsure why girls would do such a thing. Also, I'd heard talk of Miss White's cane but I've never actually seen it until now. We all know what the outcome of that altercation will be then, Pam remarked, laughing quietly. I wonder how many strokes. We were so engrossed, we didn't see it coming. It was a technique he hadn't quite perfected, 
because Sir's board rubber missed us and landed on the workbench behind us. Others said it was like a dart being thrown, but it had the desired effect. We stopped talking, looked at the teacher innocently and paid attention as the lesson began. The missile remained in situ. Christine, thank you so much indeed for uh, joining us here on Siren Radio. Christine Taylor has been part of this wonderful series, Lincolnshire Lives, and that lovely story took me back. I can remember the ball rubber. It was my Latin master who had, he could actually aim it just like a dart and it never missed its target. Not fortunately of me, but Christine Taylor, thank you so much indeed for joining us today here on Siren Radio. Thank you, Andrew. You're listening to Siren Radio. This is part of a wonderful series of uh, interviews that I've conducted because of the publication of a wonderful book called Lincolnshire Lives, sponsored and supported by the Arts Council England. It's their story, your history, edited by Rosanna McGlone. And what I'm doing is meeting some of the authors who've, um, A, written something, but also turned into poets as well. And today, it's a great pleasure to welcome Jane Robinson to Siren Radio. Jane, hello. Hello. Whereabouts in Lincolnshire are you? I live in a small village called Skendleby in the Lincolnshire Wolds, about 10 miles inland from Skegness. Well, it's lovely to have you on, on Siren. Thank you very much indeed for taking part. I have to say we're doing this remotely um, because, of course, you know, it would have been quite a challenge for you to get in. And of course, the, the marvellous thing about the way we're living at the moment is that using something like Zoom means that we can extend um, the way we, we do our interviews uh, quite exponentially. Tell me about how you got involved with this particular project. I saw it on Facebook. So you're, um, and you're very much it, really. into the social media thing. Um, I, well, in lockdown, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've become more involved in it in lockdown. No, I, I scroll through and I look at things and I saw this and thought that would be interesting. Now, had you done thought about doing any creative writing? Because I'm assuming it's something, you know, I did it at school and I'm assuming you perhaps did a little bit of creative writing at school, but maybe you haven't picked up a pen or pencil in earnest since then. No, actually, I think over the years, every time something's happened to me, I've said, I'm going to write a book about this. <laughs> and it became a bit of a standing joke amongst my friends. And I've, I have looked at various ways, but they all seem to be around fiction. And I really can't get my head around fiction. I like what I'm actually living or whatever. And then um, my husband was diagnosed with dementia at the age of 58, 2017. And I'd looked and looked at forums and everything and they were all doom and gloom and I couldn't cope with that. So I decided I would write a blog. So since about March, April, 2018, I've been writing a blog almost daily. And I like that. And I like the short excerpts that I do. They don't take very long. Um, and so this, and it, it's factual. And I like that. So I saw this on Facebook and thought, oh, I wonder if I could do that. But actually, stupidly, I suppose, I didn't think I was old enough to write memoirs. I didn't think anybody <laughs> would be interested. 
<laughs> and you think I've just had my 61st birthday. I don't know what I was thinking, but there you go. I, I don't actually. It's very interesting. You say that you know, can memoirs only be written by people of a certain age? And, and looking at some of the, the celebrities who've done theirs, who yeah. do part one in their mid 20s, and they call it part one because they're investing <laughs> in something that's going to bring them a revenue for the rest of their lives. And it's a fascinating thing. And of course, I suppose in some senses, that's all the other the other side of it is why would anybody be interested in what I want to tell or what I want yes. to write? You know, yes. it's it's like self-deprecation, isn't it? Yeah. When you decided, yes, I'm going to do it and I'm going to show those people I've been saying I'll write a book about it, that I can write a, well, a bit of a book about it. Um, the, the process of actually doing it, how easy did you find that? It was quite, I've learned such a lot from doing this and I have <laughs> changed the layout of my blog. So I actually use punctuation now. And oh, I use paragraphs, <laughs> which is which is good. I didn't find it difficult because Rosanna gave us headings, so that was good. And and I like the fact that we wrote and then we sent it in to her, and two weeks later we had a one-to-one on what we could change. And I did learn from all of that. I don't think I found it difficult, apart from my personally find it difficult to concentrate so that's why I like the fact that to start with it was 1500 words a piece and I found that really difficult and I padded it a lot and then Rosanna brought it down to a thousand and most of mine were actually under that and that was fine. When you saw it for the first time in print what was your feeling? Oh I loved it I loved it so much more than I thought I would. I, I thought that when I read what I'd written that it would all be a bit embarrassing. and But no, I didn't. And I loved reading everybody else's stories too. Now, and especially as it was Lincolnshire, so it was all places I knew. Absolutely. Now, now talking about embarrassing, one of the subjects you chose was, was first love. One of the things I've noticed about all the stories is that they trigger memories in me. So the wonderful thing is this is a wonderful way of perhaps helping people just trigger memories that they've forgotten, buried many, many years ago. And, and talking maybe of slight embarrassment, you've decided to read a little bit from first love for us. So um, <laughs> the floor is yours. Let's hear that little extract okay. from that chapter. All right. My husband was, we were very young when we met. Um, that's the main thing. And he'd asked me out a couple of times and I'd said no, but here we go. The back seat of the bus was the place to be for any self-respecting 15 year old. And I had my seat among the great and the not so good on that remarkable day. It was the end of the summer term at Gainsborough High School and spirits were high at the thought of the six long weeks of freedom which lay ahead. The school bus wound its way out of Gainsborough and through the villages. Motorbikes seemed to be following us carefully through Lee, Gate Burton, Martin and onwards when suddenly it overtook and disappeared into the distance. So that was that. He hadn't really been following at all, just on his way to somewhere when coincidence brought him behind our bus. Imagine my surprise then when we finally arrived in my village and there waiting at the bus stop was the motorbike and sitting astride it, that lovely long haired, skinny, exuberant boy I'd been following so assiduously for the past two years. I strolled over head high and chin up to see what he could possibly want and found to my great delight that what he wanted was me. Well, not quite that. I discovered a good while later that what he really wanted was a girl to take to his first year pass out parade as he moved towards becoming a fully fledged policeman. And for some reason, I caught his eye. I'm very sure that when he made that decision, though, he could have had no idea that 45 years on, I'd still be catching his eye. 
the hairs on the back of my neck are tingling. Absolutely wonderful. You and I shared a little moment before we started recording that uh, I too used to spend a lot of time on the back seat of a bus. But <laughs> I did point out that it wasn't in Lincolnshire, it was in, in, in Kent. Um, and it is a magical place, isn't it? Because you can see the world going by. And indeed, my first girlfriend um, was uh, someone who I met on the bus on the way from Rochester to Gravesend. That's a lovely, lovely story. Um, and particularly based on you know, what you told us about um, the way uh, you've, you've come to writing. Thank you oh, very yeah. much indeed, Jane, for spending time with us here on Siren Radio. And uh, I, the final question, are you going to write any more? I keep joking with Rosanna that I'm going to write a book. Uh, several people have said to turn my blog into a book. And I couldn't work out how to do it because it's just snapshots on an almost daily basis. But one of the things that I've, one of the many things I've learned from Rosanna is how to link things. So I have it in my head, if I can ever make myself sit down for long enough um, and focus on something, then yes, I am going to turn my blog into a book. Jane Robinson, thank you very much indeed for spending time with us here on Siren Radio. Thank you. This is a wonderful sequence of interviews that I've been able to do following on from meeting Rosanna McGlone and finding out about this wonderful project, Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History. And another of the authors has been brave enough to spend some time with us here on Sound Radio. It's uh, Julie Grimmer from Humberston. Julie, thank you very much indeed for spending time with us here at Siren. How are you today? I'm very well and I'm very pleased here to share my story well it i picked this book up a couple of weeks ago and i've been saying this every time i i meet your friends that i've not been able to put it down it it's it's full of wonderful little nuggets which remind me of my growing up time um just tell me a little bit about what it was like for you to do it because i'm guessing you hadn't done much writing for, for many a year no, indeed, and certainly nothing in the style of creative writing. In my work life, I've done a lot of report writing, which of course is very different, but I'd always fancied having a bit of a go. And so when I saw Rosanna's call through social media for applicants to join this project, I wondered if I might be able to do it. I think like everybody else, I was a little worried if you like that my memory would would, would um, come forth and uh, I would be able to do it but she was such a great tutor she prompted us in every way so it was wonderful. And what was it like meeting your other authors as well? Well they weren't authors at that point to start with but the other people who decided they wanted to take part did you find that a stimulating experience? Yes, they were a lovely bunch of people and uh, I was quite surprised to learn how many of them were living fairly close by to where I was. So, you know, that was a, a nice bonus as well. But uh, we all got on really well and had a laugh along the way. You get that sense, actually, from reading the stories that, that it, not everybody's playing off each other, but they're matched beautifully and, and they're just you just think you're you are seeing into people's lives but it also is part of history which had it not been for this this little snapshot of history in Lincolnshire wouldn't have existed would it? 
No, that's right. And as you say, um, when I eagerly opened the book to start reading, I thought, oh my, that's so like some of the stories I've told and I could really relate to it. So when you sat down and when you'd had all this wonderful preparation and you've got pen in hand or your laptop or however you, it was you wrote it, how did you go about sorting the stories? You know, what process did you go through? We were prompted very well, really, by Rosanna to help us along the way. So, for instance, uh, she would do a tutorial and say, well, I want you to think about a, a, a special place to you when you were growing up. And, you know, what was this place like and uh, what memories did it have for you? And she was the one really that guided us through. Um, and another one was was to pick a special person in our lives and talk about them descriptively, but also try and include a story about them. And so that was how the process went along. And I must say, once I started, it started to flow quite well. Now, the $64,000 question is, or pound question, I should say, is, <laughs> are you going to carry on writing? Well, therein lies a, a question. Um, after I'd written the book and started sharing it with people. One of my friends who said she couldn't put it down said she knew of somebody that was running a creative writing uh, group in Grimsby, which of course is not far from where I live. And so she's put me in touch and um, I've started to go there. So the answer is yes. So we need to look out for new novels from Julie Grimmer from Humberston, <laughs> don't we? Maybe so. Oh, fantastic. That would be lovely. Now, you've, you said that one of the things Rosanna suggested you do was to think of special people in your lives. And I believe that really feeds in very nicely to the extract that uh, you're going to read for us now. Indeed, yes. I've, I've just picked um, a small extract from my piece that I wrote about my special person who was my nanny. And uh, this piece is about her and her three sisters. Now, Nanny had three sisters, Auntie Sybil and Auntie Laura, who both lived in Poole, Dorset, which was Nanny's hometown, and where she had met my granddad, Harry, when his ship was in port there. And Auntie Emmy, the third sister, lived in Canada, having met an American soldier stationed in Poole during the war. She became known as a GI bride. Every year during the summer holidays, the three sisters would take turns in meeting up either in Poole or in Humberston. One year, the two sisters came up to Humberston and my mum was hosting them for a high tea. Everything you could think of, including salmon sandwiches, the special milk jelly, Madeira cake from Marks and Spencers. When it was time for Auntie Laura and Auntie Sybil to go back to my Auntie Mary's, they decided that they would walk back together. Although my mum had misgivings, as the ladies were well into their 70s, she was persuaded by Laura, who was a real outgoing character. She always greeted everyone with, all right, my love, and a broad, toothy smile. She had whiskers on her chin and was never seen without her favourite beret perched jauntily on her head. Pink baggy bloomers usually peeped out from below her dress, much to my amusement. They set off, arms linked, chattering away as they went down the street. My nanny happened to mention that she thought there was a shortcut down a cutting, which would save them some time, 
And so they turned down the narrow path with Laura, the intrepid leader in front. It was only once they were halfway down that they came across a stile, which Nanny had forgotten about. It's no good, we'll have to go back, said Nanny. Don't be daft glad. We can do it, insisted Laura. Besides, I need a wee. The sisters devised a strategy. One would stand each side of Laura to give her a hand up. In the middle of scaling the stile, Laura had a fit of giggles as a ripping sound came from her bloomers catching on the stile, and consequently she lost control of her bladder. There was nothing else for it but for the two other sisters to follow her over, and they all collapsed in a heap of hilarity on the other side. Gathering themselves together, they made their way back to Auntie Mary's house. Taking in their dishevelled appearance, she said, Now, ladies, what on earth have you been up to? I think I'd better make a cup of tea and you can tell me all about it. Needless to say, the ladies were not let loose on their own again, even though Laura hailed it a marvellous adventure. That is absolutely so. I could barely control myself. I was... <laughs> I, and I, I could see it as well as hear it, as well as sense it. And I could hear it in you, the way you've read that beautifully for us today. Uh, there was a giggle in the background as you re recount that. And these three 70-year-old ladies getting caught uh, on a style. <laughs> Thank you so much indeed. Can I wish you all the best, particularly with uh, maybe your new initiative, a, a new, dare I say, chapter in your life and please do keep in touch if there are other publications uh, but Julie Grimmer thank you very much indeed for joining us here on Siren Radio. Thank you Andrew it was a pleasure. Exploring the Lincolnshire Lives publication, Their Story, Your History, which has been edited by Rosanna McGlone. And I'm delighted to say I've been able to catch up with several of the authors who've submitted pieces to this fantastic book full of rich reminiscences. And our guest today is Pat Crawshaw. Pat, welcome to Siren Radio. Thank you. How did you find getting involved with this project? Did you, did you enjoy it? Is it something you've always wanted to do to write creatively? Yes but you often doubt what you can do. So with this lady, Rosanna, helping us, it's amazing what you could do. And had you written anything since, say, leaving school like this? No, just studies and things like that, but nothing creative like this. How easy did you find it to let your creative juices flow? Not too bad, actually. And when you had the opportunity to come up with some ideas, um, how did you go about choosing what it was you wanted to talk about? You had to be quite quick. So on the study days, she would give you a topic and say, find a story about this. And I think the stories are already there in your head and you just need the opportunity to bring them out. Did you find it difficult to sift through the stories and work out what really what might make a good story for a book like this? No, because I think if you said the wrong things, Rosanna put you back on the right path. <laughs> Absolutely. How well did you take to um, her editing process and her suggestions? I, were you? Did you find that helpful and, and an open opportunity? I was uh, quite pleased because maybe my grammar's not the best it could be. So she's not a lot of changes, but you know, you felt happy that she knew what she was talking about. Sometimes. 
Did you um, use any members of your family as a sort of sounding board to work out what it was you wanted to, to talk about or the stories you wanted to pick? For the first one, I used my husband. But after that, you just had to go with the process because the process was every training session. You had to be quick at thinking of a subject. How was your husband? Did, was, is he supportive of this and having things revealed about your life and other yes. things? Yes, it was fine. And when you got the book, when you saw it and when you saw your name in print for the first time, what did you feel? I was very excited. I was pleased with my capability. You know, I was very amazed what I could do. You know, sometimes you need somebody to just tell you that you can do it. Do you think you're going to write any more? Um, if the opportunity arises, but I think you just need somebody to push you a bit. And that's what Rosanna was able to do. She was yeah, able to, yeah. to, as you say, push or, or encourage gently with a sharp encourage, stick. Encourage, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we're asking all of those who uh, we've got in this little particular series uh, to read a little section uh, from your book. So would you like to uh, introduce us to what it is you want to, to read for us today? So in my stories, there are five. I've written about and including my work as a community midwife in Lincolnshire, an aunt who was so special to me, my school days, and how special Hubbard's Hills has been in my life. So I'm going to talk to you about Hubbard's Hills. Um, it's close to Louth Centre. It's approached by a small single track, which makes you wish your car was much smaller and that you had eyes on stalks. There are passing places, but it feels like you have to get quickly to the next one just in case you meet a car coming towards you. It's even worse if there's a queue of cars. Hobbard's Hills has got a cool, rippling water running through it, like a brown ribbon, clean and shallow. Depending on the season, it is either slow or fast. Ducks bobbing like corks, asking for food. Halfway down the river were large stones in the water, looking like underground buttons, dipped and worn from many generations of feet crossing the river. At one of the entry points is a green wooden hut where you can purchase treats from a bygone era. Homemade, brightly coloured ice lollies, plain vanilla ice cream in either cones or paper tubs. Cups of tea brewed in a large metal teapot. There are brown trestle tables and wooden trestles to sit on. No cushions. If people from generations ago came here, they would only find the cars and clothes of people out of place. I go to Hubbard's Hills. It's a lovely place for a gentle, relaxing walk with friends. The other day took my mind back to when my children were young. There was a group of women with a collection of excited children all wanting to start their adventures. My children went there on rainbows and brownies and school trips, but mostly went there in school holidays, a collection of mothers with their children in tow. That was beautiful. I tell you, all of a sudden, I got a wonderful feeling taking me back to when ice cream was delivered in cones or little paper tubs. And that that opened up a whole vista for me it's been a real pleasure and a privilege uh, to meet you pat and hear about your experiences pat crawshaw thank you very much indeed for joining us here on siren radio thank you This week here on Siren Radio, we're meeting some wonderful authors who've contributed to a book called Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History, edited by Rosanna McGlone. Uh, it's sponsored and supported by the Arts Council of England, and I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting 
the authors. Um, the book is a brilliant read. It should make a fantastic Christmas present or a birthday present. Um, and I'm delighted to say uh, we're traveling well, well north from Lincoln to uh, the north of the county, up near Summercoats and Grimsby, to meet our next guest. It's Shirley Hardy. Shirley, welcome to Siren Radio. Thank you. Now then, you start with a poem. Everybody started with a poem in this little sequence. Many people have expressed it was a challenge, but I love your first line because you grabbed me, you grabbed my attention, and you reminded me when I was a six-year-old boy because you say, the hen house with smells that match the number of hens inside it. And that transported me back to when I used to have to go and collect the eggs by lifting up the lid. And you're right, the more chickens in the hen house, the greater the smell. That was a terrific memory. How easy did you find it to, to write that poem? I found that uh, to be able to understand uh, what it was all, all about, uh, writing a poem, which wasn't normal to me, I had to picture something specific. And when you've uh, had the experience of collecting the eggs and seeing to things, that's the thing that you first remember. It's the smell. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now that writing of the poem, which Rosanna got you to do, was actually quite a surprise, wasn't it? Because you'd done all the work on, on the stories yes. in the chapter. Um, and then she threw it at you, didn't she? Yes, it was our, it was our last one. And we it was almost like we were I think we were all feeling a bit the same, heaving a sigh of relief, although we'd loved what we were doing. Um, and then there was this poem. Uh, and, you know, I'd never been somebody who thought that I would write poems. But when I did it, I was quite excited with it. And it's turned out, I mean, it's just full of wonderful ideas which which trigger responses in me but is also I mean it's designed to trigger more story responses in the reader and and talking about the stories you then chose to put into your chapter how easy was it for you to choose what to write about? Well it was quite easy because I have been thinking for quite a long while about our childhoods and looking at my grandchildren and grandchildren that are growing up and they've never had anything like we did. It's like they have to survive with, uh, with all kind of technical stuff. We survived and we had a good life and without all those things. So you had a, a rich tapestry to draw from. How easy did you find the actual writing process? I, I enjoyed the writing process. I still want to be able to write. And because I've been someone who has written newsletters over many newsletters over the years, I really felt that um, I wanted to learn how to write in a different way than information. And, and this was bringing it into the story and being taught all that was just tremendous. The PowerPoints just made it easy to understand. I'm absolutely fascinated that, you know, you, you've had a long and rich life. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but let's just say um, you, you've crossed many decades and yeah. yet you still have this passion to learn. That's fantastic. You can't make that up. It, it, it's, it's there, you know what I mean? And I do feel that especially this happened in lockdown and especially that I don't have any family here. Um, and so I've been alone uh, such a lot in lockdown. It was wonderful to have something to really engross myself in and, and really learn lots from 
uh, because I was here alone anyway. And it's been something wonderful to look back over lockdown, where a lot of people I notice only have very sad things to look back on. That's fantastic. And of course, the other thing, you know, we're doing this interview using technology called Zoom. Um, you've had to learn a whole new range of, of, of experiences like that, haven't you? Yes, but it's it's exciting once you do. You think it's not as hard as you really, really thought that it was. Shirley, take us now back to uh, one of the stories and part of the story. You're going to tell us about your work in, in a very well-known shop. Yes, um, it was an office of the City Glove Shop in Cleethorpe Road, Grimsby, that was there many, many years. And I came from the village of North Summercoats for my first job there. And it, it, it's so different to what it was now. And this is how I wrote it. Uh, my first challenge was to write with the pen without there being drops of ink everywhere. The ink was poured into small glass inkwells. We had black and red ink. The pen had a round wooden handle and a fine nib at the end. I had blotting paper to dry the ink when I had completed a sentence or added up the column of numbers I'd been working on. The customers didn't have cash. If someone wanted a pair of shoes or clothes, they would ask for credit from the store. And that would be my job, that I would have to uh, write things down in my little book, and then it would have to go into a ledger later. But there was another part about it, and the children's and men's clothing was downstairs, and the ladies upstairs. And lots of the mums brought their children's school clothes there. The counters were oak and glass with displays of children's clothes inside each one. While I was waiting for transactions to be brought to me, these are some of the things I saw happening in the shop. On one occasion, a quite tall little boy, about six years old, slipped under the counter and got his feet stuck. The counter had small legs on it and they had to take his thick black shoes off to get him free. Often the girls would stand at the six foot long mirror and dance while waiting. They were fascinated to see themselves, arms up in the air and often singing to themselves. They had no idea that I could see them from the office window. It was such an interesting place for children, but they did not always like what their mum was buying for them. <laughs> One little boy went home without his shoes on at all because he didn't like any of them or his old ones. Children often said things fitted because they wanted them, but mothers would come back to change them later for a larger size. Children were fascinated with the staircase. It looked like one from a grand film set, wide steps and sweeping round at the top up into the ladies' department. One day, a little girl had come into the children's department with her mum, but went missing. After a search of everywhere downstairs, she was found upstairs in the ladies' department hiding among long dresses. <laughs> oh, that is absolutely wonderful, Shirley. Thank you very much indeed for, for taking me actually back as a young boy going to get my school uniform because the bit about parents having to come back and change for a larger size, <laughs> my parents wouldn't do that. They bought me stuff that was too big anyhow and I never ever grew <laughs> into it. So <laughs> yeah. you, you've triggered a memory for me oak tables oak glass and yeah. oh it's, it's a, I can almost smell the polish as well because I'm guessing yeah, first right. thing in the morning yes. you could smell it being polished Shirley Hardy thank you very much indeed for joining us here on Siren Radio to share your
your part of Lincolnshire Lives, their story, your history. Thank you. Just in case you didn't have pen and paper to hand, the email address for you to get hold of this book is mcglonehealy at yahoo.com. Let me spell that for you. M-C-G-L-O-N-E-H-E-A-L-E-Y. That's M-C-G-L-O-N-E-H-E-A-L-E-Y at yahoo.com. It may have been picked up and is now available on a lot more outlets, so go and have a look at wherever it is you buy your books from. Just a reminder, it's Lincolnshire Lives, Their Story, Your History, edited by Rosanna McGlone and supported by using public funds from Arts Council England. I hope you've enjoyed this programme. My name's Andrew David, and this has been a production for Siren Radio by Morgan Media.